This week on the It's a Monkey podcast. That was when I realized, okay, I have to get out of this cult. And I was 21 whenever I decided to. And I actually left in the middle of the night and I was able to buy a car with cash because of the business I started, which is like such a cool part of the story that this business actually gave me the way to get out. Good morning, good evening, hello wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the CEO of Manage Flitter and soon to be Manage Social as well. Um, it is Saturday the 29th of September 2018, my birthday month, Kate. How exciting. I was inundated with podcast listeners tweeting me happy birthday on the 20th. Oh, yeah? No, not really, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> Birthdays are always worth celebrating. It means we've uh, been successful in another orbit around the sun. You're listening to episode number 125 of the It's a Monkey podcast, where we talk about everything related to technology, entrepreneurship, startups, and we interview thought leaders in the space. And coming up later on the show, there's a really a great interview, a bit of a unique interview. We chat with Julia McCoy, who's the CEO of Express Writers and uh, an author of Practical Content Strategy and Marketing an educator at contentstrategycourse.com. It's a bit of a mouthful, but basically Julia is a content marketer. She manages a content marketing agency. Now, I know there's a lot of content marketing agencies out there. It's pretty sort of bread and butter type of industry these days in the digital world. And uh, I met Julia in one of our Twitter chats, which happens Tuesday evening, America time, Wednesday morning, Australia time, where we talk about a topic and we tweet to each other about it really great experience. If you haven't joined one of our social ROI Twitter chats, Julia was one of the guests where we put questions to. And her answers were so great. I thought I'd, and she seemed like such a spirited person. I thought I'd invite her on the podcast um, with the view to talking about content marketing. And initially started talking about content marketing. And then the history of Julia's life sort of became relevant suddenly. And um, we went on this whole tangent about Julia's background and her life. And I'm not going to give too much away, but needless to say, um, she comes from a very unorthodox background and a very interesting path led her to uh, managing and uh, creating her own content marketing company. So stick around for that interview, which is really an interesting, interesting one. And so uh, that's actually part one because we landed up not talking that much about content marketing. So we landed up more talking about Julia's uh, path to, to creating a business and an unorthodox background. So uh, next week we'll do part two with Julia McCoy. And Kate, we received fan mail. You know that? I didn't know. Who was it? Yeah, from Tom Zord. Um, I assume apologies, Tom, if I'm getting your the pronunciation of your surname um, incorrectly. Um, hi, Kevin and team. Great job on the podcast. Best Australian podcast I've come across. I like that you're not overselling your own product and focus on admiring and discussing similar interests to your target audience. I've gotten so familiar with your voices that I thought I'd reach out to my mates. I'm in Perth, Australia and work primarily in the corporate world, although I ran some startups back before they were called startups. I remember those days too. Back then, it was the lure of building a digital product that could run itself and make money 24 by 7. I obviously learned a lot. For one thing, the effort to get people to part with $10 is almost just as hard as getting them to part with $1,000. The Otter app you covered recently is gold for me. So we interviewed the, um, the creator of the Otter app, which is a, a great note-taking and transcription um, app. Thanks for sharing. I have so many meetings with people and taking note means I can't read body language or be fully engaged. Plus, I'm sure there are missed opportunities as I cannot remember everything. I ran a community project last year, PIOTCN.org, which was a way to demonstrate that so many of the hurdles organizations have in doing things differently can be overcome with the right leadership and the right purpose. Anyway, keep up the good work. That's Tom Zord in Perth. So, Tom, thanks so much for the, the fan mail. It sort of came out of the blue. And um, I do know that feeling, Kate, when you listen to podcasts or the radio so much that, um, you know, it's an incredibly intimate medium because you, 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 it's, it's a one-on-one -on -one type of medium. And so it's, uh, it's interesting to see that you and I have become virtual friends to some of our fans. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I know there's a podcast I listen to called 99% Invisible and, uh, and the host of that show is Roman Mars and I think... I'm pretty sure I could recognize his voice anywhere now. Well, it's funny. You know, I, 
as I mentioned a few times, I used to work in radio back in South Africa, and in, and I've still got a few friends uh, from those days, and some of them are, are still working in radio in South Africa. And there was one chap, um, Damon Calvary, who was involved with the most famous um, breakfast show there, a chap called Gareth Cliff. South African listeners, if there are, are any, even in Australia, will probably know those names. And I went back to South Africa in 2010 for the World Cup, and I was hanging around Damon, and um, people would recognize him at, at the this was the World Cup soccer. People would recognize him when he was ordering food by his voice. He had a very specific semi-neurotic type of style of talking and people would just come up to him and go, hey, are you Damon? And your voice is just so familiar. So um, yeah, it's definitely, it's a, audio, audio is a very uh, powerful medium. And um, I, I grew up, which seems like the dark ages back in Johannesburg, where radio was one of the, the few entertainment, regular entertainment mediums. So uh, it, was, it was definitely my favorite medium long before the days of podcasts. So anyway, you can email us at podcast.itsamonkey.com. We love hearing from you. We know you're out there listening. We can see you on the stats. By the way, also, if you're involved with your own company, your own startup, even your own charity um, or not-for-profit, you're involved, we're happy to give you a shout out and a link on the show notes to your website. Email us at podcast.itsamonkey.com or you can tweet us. We love hearing from you. We love doing this podcast. And um, so uh, we'll send you a shout out. We have some tech news before we get into the interview. And um, boy, there's been so much going on. Kate, I think we could do three hours just on okay. tech news since the last podcast. It's like really we have two schools of thought with people that I speak to that listen to the podcast. Some people say, ah, oh, just, just do the news. That's like helps me. And other people are just like drop the news and just get in straight into the interview. So I think there's two podcasts thing there, right? A news one and an interview one. Yeah, definitely. I can see how the, the news one would be kind of a good daily one um, where you just kind of today in the tech news, like, like a report, like an evening report like they do on the TV. That would be handy. You know what we could also do, and this is if you overhearing Kate and I bounce around ideas, which we do often, um, what would be quite interesting as well, we could potentially, and I know some podcasts do this, they, they release two episodes, two editions of the same podcast, for example, an edited version and an unedited version, and then they let the listener choose which one to listen to. And we could almost release three versions, just the news, just the interview, and one that does both. And then people, when they see it on their podcast player, they can actually choose which one to listen to. Yeah, that'd be handy. It wouldn't be too hard to do, and they have to record it the same way that we do it now and then just chop it up for the other two. Just chop it up. I think I like that technique. There's only one podcast. It's called um, On Being, quite a famous podcast by a woman called Krista Tippett, where she interviews philosophers and artists, and it's a really fantastic podcast. And, she, and yeah, they release the edited and the unedited version. And uh, I don't know why more podcasts don't do that. And, and I use that because if I listen to a podcast of hers that I really like, the guest and it's, I think the edited's about 40 minutes and I'm like, wow, that was a fantastic interview. I would like to listen to it again. Then I go into the unedited and sometimes it's about up to two hours, but I don't listen to the unedited of all the podcasts. So it's actually for podcasts you're really interested in. I think that's a, a fantastic idea. And I think, you know, you know, podcasts, it's still, it's still, we need to think podcasts are separate to radio. They're separate to YouTube. I know what's becoming popular on podcasts these days, Kate, is the super long form of podcast, right? Like the two, three, four-hour podcast. Like how, how long was Joe Rogan's interview with Elon Musk? Two hours, two and a half hours? Yeah, that one was up there. Probably about two and a half, I'd say. So again, this is, you know, in, in radio, you don't do that, right? Because a lot of the time there's, there's schedules, commercial implications, and and it's you, there's a limited resource. But in podcasts, you, you know, you can, you can do long form, and the people, if they want to listen, they can listen. If they don't, well, they can fast forward or just not listen. So they, we're still working out ways. The industry's still working out ways to use this new medium, and I think multiple versions of the same podcasts is are not used enough. And I, I predict people will start, even like Joe Rogan and that Elon Musk podcast. Why not have a edited down version to twenty minutes and have the long form version and just release both of them, right? Yeah, depend. There's also like a you know a preference as the as the creator. You know what what are you going for? What where are your strengths? How are you going to showcase them in the best way? 
some people might be better at having a long conversation and other people might be good at kind of chopping it up and keeping everything they say really succinct and short. Well, the reason why I've read that some people are preferring, some guests are preferring to go on long-form podcasts is because once you start editing them out, once you start editing things, things, concepts can get uh, lost, the context can get lost. And, you know, the, the famous, I was quoted out of context, starts happening. And I think people, and especially celebrities and, and the like, hate that. They hate that they talk for an hour and they get reduced down to five minutes and it's just the whole context is lost. So I think you do have a point there that if people know that they're going to be long form and unedited, they'll speak for themselves and you can't do, because with editing, you can do really you can shift focus, you can shift meaning, you can move it around. So I think, I think there is, that, that is a valid, that is a valid point. But um, yeah, I think what's interesting with these big podcasts that have become famous, like Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson and Jacko, I forget his name. It's a, some ex Navy SEAL guys got a famous podcast as well. A lot of them posted on YouTube as well. But yeah. what happens is fans, Fans chop it up and put it on their own YouTube channel, right? Yeah. So you'll see with the Elon Musk interview, fans will chop out certain parts and put it on their own YouTube channel, and you see these little clips start floating around. So fans do their editing in any case and go through the trouble. I'm amazed people have the time to do that, but hey, that's 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 the world of the internet mashup. Yeah, but sometimes you got to remember the reason that people chop up things on YouTube and then upload them there. It's not necessarily that they want people to come on YouTube and watch these short clips. It's because it it answers a a need on a blog post somewhere and rather than saying, you know, right. oh, you know, listen to – I mean, I know you can drop into certain time frames on a YouTube video, but there might be a use case for, you know, an article that's just about one thing that Elon Musk said in that interview, in which case linking to the short version of the video might be a better idea. Hey, that's a good segue into the tech news, even though we didn't list this as a tech news item, but I think it's actually <laughs> worth mentioning. Do you know that Elon Musk is in a bit of trouble at the moment? No, I didn't know. So yesterday, it got lost with all the the political, um, it was a big day for politics um, the last couple of days in the US, and, and this news item got a bit lost. But the SEC, which is the, the body responsible for um regulating and and uh, policing the financial markets in the US um, is suing Elon Musk and wanting him to uh, be banned from from managing or leading a, a a company or being a director of a company for two years because he tweeted he tweeted out a few weeks ago that he secured private funding for Tesla to take it private and when you when it comes to public companies you have to be incredibly careful about what what information you re- release because it could be seen as manipulating the share price, which is very illegal, right? The, the mm-hmm. very big reason for uh, the success of the public markets is, is so that people can trust the public markets, that they're not manipulated. Um, so it's um, so the SEC have said that tweet was manipulative, it was illegal, and they want to ban him from from managing a public company or, or perhaps even companies. I'm not a legal expert, but in any case, he's in a lot of trouble. It'll be interesting to see what what happens. The Tesla share price sort of crashed, I think, about 10% after this came out. It was a pretty obviously dumb thing of him to, his to tweet out um even friends i've got at the time who work in finance in sydney were just saying wow that's that's going to be a problem so right. he's a great entrepreneur he's a great visionary uh, but yeah he's the last few months wow they've certainly been they've certainly been interesting don't know if it's stress or ego or both but um there's a lot of all over the place behavior happening yeah it seems to be that way for him lately uh, I, I do understand the, the, the stress. I mean, I, not the stress of running two listed companies, but the stress of, of piecing the complex, uh, you know, managing a business puzzle together. I, I do understand how that, that, that can grind down on you. And he's obviously, and listed companies are, are everything's, all your dirty laundry is laid out. And it's, everyone knows everything. And it's, it must be quite tedious to have to deal with the press. So, yeah, so that, that's going to be an interesting story. I know Elon Musk has become a bit of a poster, poster child of our 
generation about you know the, the next Steve Jobs, etc. But um, yeah, you got to play. You got to play by the rules in society. Otherwise, society doesn't function. Um, and but a lot of people in the industry saying, look, don't 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 sort of tie the the hands of the the most visionary entrepreneur don't don't tie his hands i mean that's that's not what the entrepreneurship and innovation is about so there's a debate happening around that but he's got to play by the rules and there's money at stake you know uh, mothers and fathers invest in the stock market and you can't have people just manipulating the stock market on a whim because then the trust gets lost and and it's and it just doesn't become of any use to anyone so anyway that that's that's elon musk but Moving on from Elon Musk, um, interesting yesterday, Kate, I was wandering around doing my thing in Sydney and um, I logged into Facebook on my mobile and um, and I was logged out of Facebook. Now, this is the first time I've been logged out of Facebook on my mobile for a long, long time. And initially, I thought it was because they did an app update and I thought somehow you know it was related to an app update on my Android and then I saw some people tweeting out that they've been logged out as well and some people in the office commenting about it. And I thought, thought, oh, that's a little bit interesting. And then late last night, Facebook came out with a statement saying they, they forced about 100 million Twitter, uh, not Twitter, Facebook accounts. Uh, they forced a logout. So they, they forced session expiries. They, they forced token expiries based on the fact that they think that up to 50 million Facebook accounts were hit by a security breach over the last few weeks and as a precautionary measure they reset the tokens which is um, something that these sites use to maintain your login so the fact that you don't have to log in and out the whole time and they claim that there was a, a security breach and um, as, a, as, a, as a precaution they forced 100 million accounts to re-log in i.e. to recreate those tokens so if these hackers had had any access to these tokens they'll sort of be useless now and as far as i know this is the first time there's been such a big um, security breach of facebook cambridge analytica issue excluded which is a, a third party app data issue but in terms of the actual um, core app itself um, i can't remember ever such a big breach no, I can't actually recall one either. But I think I noticed a similar thing. They probably forced it after the event, though, for most people. But I got logged out not yesterday. I'm going to say a few weeks ago, out of the blue. Oh, interesting. Okay, mm. maybe maybe they maybe they yeah identifying different batches of accounts and they they're logging them out. I mean, what was interesting is uh, you know I'm a bit of a you know geek in this industry and when facebook listed whenever it was you know they publish a big big document for potential investors that's that's publicly available and they had a whole section on the risks associated with facebook and they had a whole section talking about potential hacking risks and technical risks and 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 yeah i mean the you know these risks are known. These risks are very well known. That it's there would be companies and hackers and and rogue states trying to hack into these services the whole time. And I actually think it's pretty impressive that there there hasn't been more of this. It shows that they throw a lot at security. And Mark Zuckerberg came out and said that you know they're going to throw even more at security. And it and interesting how these hackers get in. Right, it was related to a change they made, I believe. In 2017, was it related to videos or view your profile as? It was some some change they made, and that that left a bit of a hole and a vulnerability. I actually think that to... was this year when I read that. No, excuse me. Stemmed from a change we made to our video uploading feature in July 2017. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what people don't realize, right, is and you and I work on an app that's relative, it's got a relatively decent amount of users as well, is that there's only there's just human beings behind these, these creations. And uh, you change features, you introduce new features, you fix things, it sort of can break other things. It happens. It happens the whole time. It's, uh, it's I see, I'm a member of some groups that, of social media managers that use these platforms a lot. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and they are always picking up these bugs and getting stuck with things. It's There's just humans behind it. I think the reason why most people don't feel that these platforms are buggy is they actually don't use them from beginning 
to end each day, every day. But there are bugs sitting in this platform the whole time. Speaking of bugs, an interesting one. I got a letter yesterday from American Express, right, mm-hmm. apologizing. Dear Mr. Garber, we've identified that on American Express cards, we have not been applying points correctly for overseas transactions. We apologize for this error. We have credited all American Express card holders with the, um, you know, outstanding points um, that they are owed. Long story short, I go into my statement. There was a ton of points that they credited me with. Oh, wow. Over the years. Because we spend a lot of money on hosting, you know, Rackspace, AWS, all our services, like the monitoring services. These are all American-based, and we run them through the American Express. And I wasn't getting points. And, you know, one of the reasons we use the cards is just to, we may as well accumulate points. And, and this was a really, really bad bug of theirs. There was a substantial amount of points that we were, we were missing. Um, wow. And again just a bug they probably had some customer that somehow was checking and being fastidious not like me <laughs> <laughs> and let them know and yeah and points are essentially like cash right i mean you can trade mm-hmm. points in for travel and clothes and gift vouchers that you buy food with and all sorts of things it's a currency so these bugs these bugs happen and some of them some of them are really bad and um so it's it's not surprising that sooner or later that that there're going to be some security issues uh, with these services. But look, they onto it and you know, they solved it. And um, it's unfortunately it's not going to be the first time. But uh, yeah, I, I was forced to log in, log back in. Um, I didn't even remember my password. I don't use it that that often. But uh, managed to get back into my into my Facebook and and up and running again. But yeah, Facebook's. And their share price didn't like it. I think their share price came down 5% as well, which I actually think, and never give, I never give financial advice, but if you, you do like investing in the share market, it's, it's always good waiting by the sidelines till these little events happen and the share price dips. And if it's a share that you like, get in at that time and it will climb back up. Because mm. uh, they always oversell, right? It's like when these issues happen, especially these good companies. So the market just oversells and dips a little, and you can get a little bit of a little bit of a discount on it. But please don't take my advice. <laughs> well, you got to be listening and watching to even know these things are happening. Yeah, but if it's your industry, you, I mean, you're following Twitter. Within two seconds, you see the tweets start coming. You know, or especially about Elon Musk or about Facebook. That the tweets. You know, someone tweeted out yesterday, it's like, I haven't listened to my morning news podcasts yet and I'm already totally out of date, you know, three three hours later. You know, the the news has been moving so fast the last few days on politics, on tech. It's all been all been a little bit crazy. Anyway, that's uh, Facebook. So you don't have to worry if you're a Facebook user. Facebook says you don't have to change your password. But if they've logged you out, log back in. Don't worry too much about it. I don't worry that much about it. People want to steal my photos of sunsets and sunrises. Go for your life. Uh-huh. Um, you're welcome. You're welcome to use them. Second news item, Kate: Japanese engineers prototype a robot backpack that acts as a secondary pair of arms. Wow, I love robot stories. I'm all for the robots. Yeah, these guys are. Um, well, it's sort of. It's a prototype, but it's from two universities in Japan. They called it Fusion. So I think like a backpack with two arms and a head and so you you attach it to yourself like you would a backpack and the arms kind of wrap around you and the head is like a little um i guess a camera or a display that sits on your right shoulder um so basically it encourages collaboration and learning at a distance so you can set it up so that the arms move freely by themselves so you can have like a third and fourth arm or you can control as the host, you can control the arms, right? Or the most interesting one is you attach, um, you attach yourself to the arms with like wrist cuffs, and then virtually somebody operates operates the robot and shows you how to do something. So they're basically using the robot to hold your hand and point at things and move. So if you think about rehabilitation or um, somebody trying to 
uh, teach how to operate a specific machinery or equipment, uh, that would be super helpful. Wow, I'm watching the video now. This is incredible. This is so cool. Wow. Yeah. I'm watching the future here. That's just as we carry our phones around, we're going to have a backpack with our extra pair of arms. Imagine you go shopping and you just just got a couple of pair of arms. Yeah, exactly. And it it looks very it looks a lot less clunky than I imagined it to be, Kate. Yeah. Yeah, it's still well, yeah, I sort of thought it would be a little bit tidier, but for a prototype it's amazing. Yeah, you could even the the arms and the machinery look quite mechanical at this stage. But, you know, if this sort of telepresence robot took off, then yeah, you can I mean you could make them silicon arms, you could do all sorts of things with it. And you they just call use it a like, surrogate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely definitely check this out. If you just Google um just Google robot backpack. Yeah, it's called Fusion, so that might help Fusion. as well. Fusion, Fusion robot, robot backpack. Yep. We'll put the link on the show notes, but yeah, and then they're showing some examples here of teaching people how to how to what do do some uh, do some ex- some specific exercises, right? Yeah, so kind of like physical therapy. So you could attach the backpack to um, you know someone that needed to get their arms back into movement. So you would attach attach the backpack to them, and then attach their arm to the robot arm, and and in another. You wouldn't even have to be in the same room. You could be somewhere else. So using VR, you can basically force their arm to do certain actions and certain activities. Yeah, wow. Very, very cool. And, of course, a lot of this technology really is uh, so wonderful and useful for, for disabilities and injuries, as you mentioned. That's where, it, it's you know, for for a lot of people, for us, it enhances and helps us. But, but for people in those situations, it's absolutely life-changing quality of life changing right definitely definitely they say that at this stage the the design floor is actually having the the view on the right shoulder of the Mm -hmm. user so when you when you're the person uh, on the other end of the vr so when you're the teacher it's a little bit uh you need to adjust because you're used to your head being centered but it's actually to the right i think there's going to be such a iPhone moments in the next few years, you know, when all these technologies of VR, AR, robotics, machine learning, 3D printing, gene editing, it's just, it's just, there's going to be, it's just going to, you know, hit, hit the sort of focal point where all these technologies just come together, just like it did in the iPhone. There was, you know, miniaturization of, of, of manufacturing and processes and cameras and bandwidth and everything came you know, and led by Steve Jobs and just this device just emerged, bringing it all together. Mm. And I think we're going to have this iPhone moment at some stage and, and it's, we're going to be at the next phase of, of, of having some sort of devices or robots or VR, AR. I think AR is going to also be absolutely massive. You know, you can imagine AR teaching you things as well just projecting and holograms and all sorts of there's there's rumblings of so many interesting new technologies and they they seem to be compounding so so quickly that it just has to sort of break through into the mainstream at some point and of course together with blockchain and bitcoin and there's there's a lot of new technologies on the on the sidelines yeah definitely i I see vr and ar as much as they're a thing now there's still these sort of barriers to entry and there's like lots of different single pieces of equipment. You know, once somebody figures out a way to consolidate that and make it super portable and super easy, then it'll take off. I agree. The fact that there's multiple devices and a tracking device and a monitoring this device and, yeah, that's just – and that's where, the, that's where the phone's been so successful um it, it's, it's just it's it's really so there, there needs to be some other one other device so i don't know maybe there will be other devices maybe that we embed into our bodies so they you know uh, multiple devices we embed in various um ways but yeah check this out the robot backpack very very cool very amazing japan always leads the way with robotics um i believe they've got robotic companions for for um elderly people in japan already 
Yeah, I think we did a story about that a few, well, it's probably a while ago now, but on one of our episodes, we talked about that. Interesting. You're listening to Kevin Garber and Kate Propel. Kate's uh, my regular co-host. Um, Kate can be found at Twitter at Kate Frappel. I'm at KE underscore GA. You're welcome to follow us on Twitter. You can follow the Monkey Podcast Twitter accounts. You can send us fan mail. <laughs> we like it. Hey, you can even you can even send us real mail if you want to send us if you want to send any samples of if you have any devices. Every now and then, Kate, I do get contacted by PR companies wanting us to review stuff and and um you know, I get invited to things every now and then. But yeah, our postal address is on our website in Sydney. You can send bits and pieces. But we do like hearing from from people listening to the show. And also, if you know anyone who's worthwhile being interviewed, you know, we'll we'll try get Elon Musk. But I don't know. We can't get him to. Maybe if he comes to your end, Canada. I don't think it, <laughs> Kate in Canada. I don't think weed's quite legal yet. I don't think we can get him to smoke a joint uh, <laughs> on our podcast. <laughs> probably not <laughs> <laughs> so 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 wacky just so wacky. i love the i love the streaming of the podcasts I, I love that it's they work so well it's just you know record and we try to do it we record we record video our podcasts as well but we obviously don't have the production weight that these companies have to have multi cameras and edits a nice long version but i do love the concept of having an audio and a video version available yeah, for sure. Now, the YouTube ones really go off, but at the same time, a lot of the time it's not necessary to have the video for the, especially when it goes for two and a half hours. You know what? You know where I think the value of the the video is is not even so much having the visual footage, but the platform, the distribution platform of YouTube. I just think is just such a fantastic platform. People discover bits and pieces, and I think their algorithm is very powerful. So if, if you do have some successful shows there, it does start getting discovered. But it's like SEO. It's, 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 it's tricky. There's a lot on YouTube, and they're only going to surface videos. And they've obviously got all the analytics. They know how long people have watched for, which videos have gone right until the end, and they'll just surface those. But if you can be successful with it, um, yeah, it's a very powerful distribution platform. For sure. That's like second, second in search rankings next to Google. Yeah, and for some reason it's skewed towards males. And I've tested this out anecdotally with my – group of friends a lot of my male friends love youtube and a lot of my female friends don't really use it much which is really i don't know, it's interesting i'm not quite sure why that is and but yeah that's that's uh, the skew the gender skew in youtube yeah. that's why people like joe rogan and and jordan peterson and a lot of these guys found their platform on youtube because their their target markets tend to be a bit more male skew true true YouTube's still got some, like, helpful stuff for females. I suppose the interesting thing would be Pinterest has a larger female demographic, right? So you can get videos Pinterest there. Pinterest doesn't have videos. Are, are there videos on Pinterest? Um, I think they're oh, – they link to videos type thing. They're not necessarily in your – like, on a board. But in terms of, like, discovering discovering interesting things on the internet, I feel like females are more likely to find things on Pinterest – and uh, males more likely to find things on YouTube. Yeah, I love I love YouTube. I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before. Best sort of best ten fifteen bucks every month. My Spotify subscription and my YouTube subscription, both of them are just worth everything. They just the value I get from them is is fantastic. So YouTube Premium, giving them a shout out, even though they don't need me to give them a shout out. But um, yeah. 10, 12 bucks, I can't remember what it is. You get to download shows. You can listen to it minimized on your phone. Um, removal of ads. Wow, fantastic. I wish I could pay for that on Facebook and Twitter and Google just to have ads removed. What a lovely world to live in an ad-free world. Anyway, we're going to take a short break, and then uh, we're going to come back with our, our great interview that I did with uh, Julia McCoy, who's the CEO of Express Writers. Um, we spoke a bit about content marketing, but more interestingly about her, her life journey to become a, a business owner of a content marketing company, her unusual um, path uh, to that destination. So uh, stick around for the interview. It's an interesting one. 
Hi, my name is Joe Pinto. I'm the Business Operations Manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Manage Flitter can help you quickly and cheaply build an organic following on Twitter? Let me explain in six easy steps. Step one, find new prospects on Twitter with Power Mode, Manage Flitter's advanced Twitter search feature. Step two, easily filter and sort results to find the most relevant Twitter accounts for you to follow. Step three, follow these Twitter accounts using Manage Flitter's simple interface. Step four, unfollow accounts that do not follow you back within 14 days. Step five, watch your Twitter follower numbers grow as high quality accounts follow you back. Step six, rinse and repeat to maintain consistent organic Twitter account growth. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough. You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. Now, you know, here at Manage Flitter, we do a lot of different uh, content marketing initiatives and um, we have the social ROI chat, which happens Wednesday morning, Sydney time, Tuesday evening, the US time, and we've had... We're heading over to nearly a hundred social ROI chats. So if you haven't joined the social ROI chat yet and you don't know what a Twitter chat is, have a look. They're a lot of fun. And we've also created a book, an ebook of the first, um, I think it's the first 50 chats. So we invite a online marketing or, and a so- or a social media expert onto the chat. We ask them a, a few questions over an hour and people get a chance to, uh, every, the experts, gives their answers and everyone else gets a chance to chime in. They're a lot of fun. I enjoy the Twitter chats a lot, even though sometimes they're 7 a.m. my time. But uh, that's, 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 what you get. that's what you get for running a, a global business from an exotic place like Australia. And on one of our Twitter chats, we had Julia McCoy on and I enjoyed her answers and her after chat. We do a little vi- a live video feed after the Twitter chat with our guest, that I thought, I'm going to drag Julia on onto the podcast. So here she is, live from Austin, Texas. Now, Julia is the CEO of Express Writers, the author of Practical Content Strategy and Marketing, and educator via the website on on her site, contentstrategycourse.com. And I'm just going to read Julia's LinkedIn blurb because... It's super interesting. I often chat to people who want to start their own businesses and uh, they think you've got to be, you know, based in Silicon Valley and raise hundreds of millions of dollars and do all sorts of things and they get a little bit intimidated. But Julia's story is fantastic. So in her LinkedIn blurb, I'm currently the operations leader at my self-started copywriting agency, Express Writers, which has worked with over 5,000 clients and earned $4 million in revenue to date. I'm an expert content marketer, best-selling author and writer, and teams available for hire. And we're going to get right into Julia's story. So, Julia, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin, and for that amazing introduction. Austin, um, we spoke about this a little bit uh, on the Twitter chat. Austin, I've heard a lot about. want to get there someday. There's a lot of, a uh, bit yes. of a startup hub these days, Austin, Texas, right? Yes, absolutely. It's kind of like the new Silicon Valley, but it's in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> which is a, which, which I've got a lot of good friends. I've, I've met a lot of, I was at one yoga retreat once where there, for some reason, there were a lot of people from Houston. I think it's got related to how it got marketed through the teachers or something. So I've actually got, I've got quite a few <laughs> friends in, in the yoga scene in Houston. So I've um, got to make it to Texas. I know it's a big state. It's, is it the second biggest state? I think so. That sounds right. I know Houston is the second biggest city, so you're probably correct. So yeah, I think I think Alaska might be the biggest state. Anyway, it's a big country, a lot going on. So Julia, wow. Let, let's. I, I think people. One of the reasons I wanted you on this podcast is people are interested in stories of uh, entrepreneurs that have built something alone with very little, because that's. Let's mm-hmm. face it. Ninety nine percent of us. That's how we build companies. The Amazons and the Googles and the Facebooks and the Atlassians and and um, you, you know are, are slightly they, they um, rare animals. Most businesses actually get built alone with no funding. So tell us a little bit about your story. Take us way back. Way back. Way well, back. that would be seven years ago, which doesn't sound too way back, but. <laughs> That was when I started. So 2011, I was actually just turned 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And the year before, 
um, I'll have to add a little bit of my personal story to really give you the background. So I grew up in a religious cult and I had very little freedom of my own. So this was in Texas going, this was actually in Pennsylvania. Okay. I moved to Texas about five years ago. Yeah. So I grew up on the East coast in Pennsylvania. Uh -huh. So I had, I had so little freedom growing up. And one thing I thought of at 19 years old, like I just woke up one morning and had this thought sitting in my head, like, why don't I try to do something with the rest of my life that I can both enjoy and secondly, make money doing. Were, and you, were you still in this, uh, were you still in this cult slash community at that stage or had you, had you left? Yes. You were still yes, inside, I was. right? So you had yes. access to internet though and I mean I did luckily right. enough. Okay. Yes. I know very few people did so I was lucky with that. So after I had that idea, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go online and see if this exists. And sure enough, there was something called freelance writing and I researched it. I got my hands dirty, I learned, learned, learned and then I just started writing for clients for like so cheap, like a couple bucks for 500 words. Oh wow. But <laughs> that was seven years, <clears throat> seven you know, years ago. I you, you know, and, and, and I understand your circumstances are a bit different, mm -hmm. are very different, which uh, we're not going to – I would love to talk about that one day if, if you're open to it. Wow, that's, that, that yeah. would be a fascinating. But, you, you know, the, these are the things you can do um, when, you, when you're young, you know, when you're still living at mm -hmm. home, when, when you've got no responsibilities, you can – hustle your way through and i know in america they use the term hustle in a pro positive sense in australia it's got a little bit of a negative connotation to hustle but you can hmm. you can be innovative in getting going when you're younger and I, I really encourage people to consider that um it's it's really never too young yeah so true so at 19 i had that thought just mm -hmm. one morning and the next it was inside three months I was researching, okay, how do I actually make a living writing online? Three months later, I had so many clients. It was like bursting at the seams. This I was had, just I was word getting, of mouth? This was all online. So I was actually mining Craigslist and looking mm -hmm. for people posting like, oh, we're a creative agency. We need a copywriter. So I would find gigs like that on Craigslist by the dozens. And then I would just call them, pick up the phone and call them and tell them, I could write and that I was reliable <laughs> 90% of the time. It's all they needed to hear. Uh, I, you, you know, it's, I've got this theme going on in our company at the moment of getting back to first principles, you know, and, oh, the, and just what you good. said there, you know, being reliable. It's, it's like, it's the same mm -hmm. with being a part of any team member. You know, if you just do what you say and you, it's, it's 99% of the battle one. And it's especially as a supplier as yeah, well. Yeah. You know, we worked with a content marketer last mm -hmm. year Wow, was it, a, was it a challenge, Julia? Like it's just the person disappeared for months, didn't know what was oh, going on, yeah. then got shitty with us because we were pushing for the oh. content. And it was like, like, wow, you know, it's like it's so, yes, getting back to basics, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's like any business that does well, they do the basics right. And maintain that's so the true. basics right. It's really And isn't that mind-blowing? Like that's so simple. It's, but so, it's so simple. True. It's so simple. You've got to understand what your value proposition is and you've got to just stick to it. And, you know, as a business grows, it's mm -hmm. so easy to get distracted from, the, from those first principles and from the basics. Yes. You know, and, and I see it all the time. But the good business – the thing as well, and sorry to interrupt your, your story, but uh, we'll get back to it shortly. But, I, you know, the comment I just wanted to make is that keeping the basics right is not as exciting as new initiative mm -hmm. and new initiatives and doing mm -hmm. new things. And, you know, I'll never forget that one of the big telcos in Australia many years ago was having infrastructure issues and, and their, their network just wasn't working. And um, this was the third network called Vodafone. And um, they were sponsoring all these sports events and tweeting live from the cricket and this and that. And I, and I was just thinking, wow, I just, why are you guys even bothering? You're just losing thousands of customers a day on your infrastructure issues. Mm -hmm. Just put a hold in it. Like it's just all the sponsoring is just a waste of money, waste of effort. Just your basics, oh, your value prop is just not there. Yes. That's so true. It's like you can put out really glossy marketing, but if the basics, you know, if your support team doesn't know what they're doing, if your salespeople aren't helping clients quickly enough, like all of these basics, and it's so true. I see it all the time in businesses around us. And <laughs> I hate to say it, but committing very well to those basics, which is hard. It's hard to find the right people that uphold that standard. But committing to those basics has also been a reason 
we've stood out above our competition <laughs> because our competition sometimes lets those drop. They have VC funding, they have a huge sales team, but the support might be nowhere. And so committing to that, you know, that was one good thing I took away from the environment I grew up in while it was definitely abusive. It taught me discipline. And I translated that really well to running a business and starting it. So after that idea I had of trying to figure out how to make money writing and running with it, three months later, I had more work than what I could handle. So my next natural question was, how do I handle this? And the idea I had, and all of this happened so fast, the idea I had in literally like 60 seconds was, okay, I'm going to start a business. And there was no other idea than that. It was, okay, let's build a team. And <laughs> I didn't read anything. I didn't study anything. I didn't know how to do this. I just did it. You seems like you were blessed with a lot of common sense, though. That's... Uh, I don't know if my husband would agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's all a lot of common sense. And I think that discipline uh, uh, component that you mentioned, I, I think in modern society, it's not sexy to be disciplined mm. uh, in so many yeah. ways. It's about being free-spirited sure. and about having choices and uh, about YOLO and all of that, right? <laughs> but discipline, right. yeah, d- discipline's really undervalued. So interesting you say that. So, so you had no training and you just went for it, right? Yes, absolutely. I went for it. And a crazy part was that, you know, all of this was done inside the cult still. So I had influences within my family. My father was the cult leader. I had people in my family telling me, you should do this, you should do this. And one thing they told me was that since I was hiring writers, I should be paying them 90% of what I charge the client. So that's how I set up my business. And that almost... (laughs) Bankrupted me inside the first month because I realized, oh, wait, 10% of my income left over is not enough to even pay my bills. So I realized that's when I realized I had to get out of the cold. Like, there is no way I'm going to succeed in life with this kind of pressure. The things I was forced to do, I was forced to hire family members that had no experience. So that was when I realized, okay, I have to get out of this cult. And I was 21 whenever I decided to. And I actually left in the middle of the night and I was able to buy a car with cash because of the business I started, which is like such a cool part of the story that this business actually gave me the way to get out without that huh. kind of cash. I don't think I would have been able to get out because I had to buy a car. There was I was pretty much locked in my room at night. Yeah. So here's an idea, Julia. I, what a story. Wow. It, I mean, Dang. I'm getting, I'm getting chills. Like it's just, it's given me an mm-hmm. idea, you know, for a documentary series for founders that, um, you know, they're, where they're, they're, their beginnings are a little bit unusual. I mean, that beginning huh. is so unusual and it's what a story to run out in the middle of the night mm-hmm. from the cult and, and thankfully due to the money that you made online from a small business you created um, with just, just the only skill that you knew how. And, uh, yeah. and you obviously a bit of a born mm-hmm. salesperson as well, even just to think of calling people and saying I can be reliable and even uh, just ha- making that connection. <laughs> Not everyone would do it. And thank, mm-hmm. thank God for Craigslist, right? <laughs> right. So true. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say right. I'm writing a book on uh, that whole story and it's going to be a memoir and I'm actually halfway through it. Like that is my 2018, 2019 project is actually telling the story. Can, can we book you for a two hour chat when that book comes out? Oh, you bet. I'd love that. Um, I'm, I'm definitely, I've got one of my many interests. I'm actually, yeah, I, I am interested in communities and communities when they go wrong as well. Um, mm. So I would definitely uh, love to, to to chat about that and that that hook into your business is just is just absolutely fascinating. So you ran in the middle of the night and you just mm-hmm. and you kept on growing things, I assume. Yes, absolutely. Well, another crazy part of that story was that right before I left, I met my future husband online. Whenever he hired me to write for him, mm-hmm. so he was the first person I opened up to. We just had this amazing connection after I called him and he was my client. We talked about content and then it quickly moved to the environment I was in and I opened up and he was like the first person. Well, long story short, whenever I left, I went straight to meet him. Three months later, we got married and then he became my CTO. And he wow, is the like... Story just gets, the story just gets... <laughs> I should have warned you. <laughs> this is like... this. I, 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 you're going to sell the rights to this story in your book, man. This is this would be a great, you know. 
You heard it first on Kevin's podcast. Oh, wow, man. That's three months later, your married man becomes the CTO of your business. Fantastic. Wow. It's nice it's got a happy ending, all of this, Julia. Yes, it really does. Yeah, you really can call my story a happy ending. And so whenever I hired him, it was really interesting that we met in that way. He hired me to write his content because he was just starting a web design and development company. And what he's done for eight express writers, my agency is he's built our web presence through a great site like UX stuff. I can't do, I can do marketing. I can do copy, but I can't do UX. <laughs> I hate, I learned a little bit of coding, but that was it. So he's done that. He's developed our e-commerce platform and we're actually working on our second version of our content shop these days. It's going to launch inside the next year. So he's done that side of things and I've done content and it's just worked out incredibly well. And we've gotten through some major hurdles like in 2016, we, I almost lost the entire business. There were two people I trusted and I trusted them with everything, basically the keys to the castle. Mm. And they made off with a lot of money and they tried to steal my business concept, my products, my services, and they tried to create a clone of my agency. Oh, and they were overseas, so I couldn't like do a court case. So I had to rebuild from scratch. And wow. that wow. actually taught me the leadership lessons I really needed as a super naive 26 year old to then double my business in the next year. And now we've tripled in 2018. Wow. That is such so, a, and you, you know what, Julia, last year I listened to the, the, the guy who created the USB micro drive. He eventually sold it to a Korean company for billions. And I went, I went to listen to his story mm -hmm. and he said something I didn't, I never forgot. He said, every business has at least one or two near death experiences. Wow, you know, and and I can speak for it in my business as well. We've we've had a huh. few bumpy patches that were were pretty serious, and um, you know I think I think so. Don't be too hard on yourself. And I found that very comforting when he mm. said that because I think we are all hard on ourselves when we get one thing wrong, and it and it has a huge flow and effects. So um, it, it it it's it's really not fun when it happens. But to enjoy the good parts of being a founder, you have to go through the bad parts. And wow, that is. That is a horrible mm -hmm. that that that's a horrible part of the journey. But wow, did you bounced back incredibly? Thanks. Yeah, that's so true. And I've seen that pattern. And you know, back then I had a business coach that I talked to who had 25 years of experience, and he's like, you know, the best thing I can tell you is don't put this out there because that becomes TMI and that becomes unprofessional. And I didn't go with that advice because that wasn't my gut and everything in my life has been following my gut. And that has brought me success in ways in which I couldn't have dreamed of just following gut intuition. So my intuition was I have to tell our clients that these two managers were fired and that we're going to rebuild from scratch. And we're going to make this a stronger company. And that actually, we did lose a couple clients, but the majority of our clients actually grew closer to us. And they told me they really respected that I told them what was going on and got clear without, you know, without going too much into the details, which you don't have to. But just letting them know and being transparent, I think was something that few business owners did. This was two years ago, and was something that was a really good move. And even in content marketing, like being transparent wins. And that's something that I still try to uphold in how we do business is always be transparent. And your customer will really appreciate that. I think it's that authenticity is what they, you know, that humanness and authenticity, because then they trust whatever you're saying is true, as opposed to not knowing what's the truth and what's not the truth. I know when we had a few right. infrastructure issues a few years ago, um, that, and um customers were struggling with our product uh, i also i mean i i just i just told them what was going on and i got some of the i got some mm. incredibly abusive frustrating emails from people but i also got emails inc most incredible supportive emails from people that had, had never mm. met me and and it's, it's it is in, when you hit the bottom there those really make a difference um julia i know you push for time what i want to do quickly is um we've touched on we've touched on the the, the background and which is fascinating I'm actually going to hold off on the, the other juicy part is actually t talking about content marketing and which obviously is a very topical um, subject and it's something that you know a lot about and people are very interested in. I'd like to actually bring you on back for part two where we'll actually talk about content marketing 
and um, all those juicy bits. But it's been so fascinating. And I would bet you've probably inspired at least half a dozen people to go out there and give it a go. If you can start a business from within mm-hmm. a cult, right, <laughs> with nothing, <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure there's someone else sitting there, hell, like I can do this and hustle a bit. So <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that story. I mean, oh, it's, you're welcome. Um, it's, it's yeah. really it, you know, it's, 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 it's really inspirational. I know it's uh, you never had any choice, so you probably don't feel like a hero or anything, but it's, it's, it is inspirational yeah. to hear it. And I'm sure many people um, will find that motivating. Oh, thank you. That means so much to me. And I'm really excited for part two. I think that's a great idea. Let's do it. Cool. So we've been chatting to Julia McCoy, who's the CEO of Express Writers, author of Practical Content Strategy and Marketing and Educator Content Strategy Course.com. We touched on Julia's life story in this podcast which is unique and fascinating stick around for next week because we're going to talk about content marketing and what you should do how you should do how it's changing um, it's a powerful powerful tool for your business and we're going to dig right in next week so um, stick around next week julia thanks so much for joining us thank you so much kevin the it's a monkey podcast is brought to you by check dog Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. So, Kate, I don't often have interviews that, that have nice little um, left turns. And it's just, I, I liked how we were just treading along that interview. And, um, you know, it just this whole this whole world just opened up into Julia's background. That was just a, a whole fascinating insight. And um, as Julia mentioned, she is going to be writing a book about her her upbringing, which is going to be super, super interesting. Um, and we'll definitely get her back to to talk more about growing up in, in that complex, complex background, I think uh, must be very, very challenging to grow up in, in um, some of these unusual circumstances. Definitely, definitely. I mean, she did, she did well in my eyes to even start this business within a cult in the first place. Very, um, you know, in America, they use this word positively, hustling. In Australia, it's got a bit of a negative connotation. I don't know what it is in Canada to use the word hustle. It's weird. I haven't heard many people say hustle over here. Um, It's more like the daily grind. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, her hustle was interesting. You know, just hustle on Craigslist and just do what you needed to do and that, that grit which is, you know, that's one of the predictors of business success is, is just that grit, that just finding a way and sticking with it and, and the ups and the downs. And, um, you know, so sometimes the best entrepreneurs come from necessity, you know, when, when you have to make a living somehow and you have to build a small business and you, you have to find a way and you, you just, that's, you, you know, necessity is, you, you know, you forces you to be innovative if things sometimes are laid out before you and and you you know you, you go down a path that's predetermined that's easy it doesn't necessarily um, bring out your full capability it's true necessity is a good motivator but you know like the fact that you even did that at the age of 21 was quite interesting as well i think most most people that age in sydney anyway are just Oh, maybe wrapping up their degrees, but they're, they're still in university and stuff. There's not many people at 21 that have, you know, started their own business from scratch. I noticed a difference when I came to Australia compared to South Africa. Yeah, the Australians were really cruisy about finishing their degrees and take a year off and travel. And it's, yeah, there was no concerns about time being an issue. And South Africa, where life was a lot tougher, people just wanted to nail their degrees out and start working because they had to. So, yeah, context determines a lot, but I, I do admire, I do admire her, her sort of innovative approach and 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 trying to change her circumstance. I think it's very very difficult when you, 
when you're trapped in a community and a context and society that and to get out of it it's a catch-22 right you sort of got no resources they fully control your whole environment where do you start it's very very difficult so mm. yeah interesting story so next next week we'll chat more with julia actually about content marketing which is still you know content is the currency of uh, the world wide web and um, it's, it's definitely something that you should understand as a, as a marketer as a business owner even as anyone working just in the commercial world these days you just need to understand how content marketing works it's forever changing because google's forever changing and innovating but it's it's definitely something that's that's worth understanding i think content marketing's changed a lot hasn't it kate over the last couple of uh, years with um, social media and video and it's it's become a lot more complicated definitely it doesn't uh it doesn't just consist of text or, or blogging anymore it's um video content imagery podcasts there's just a million different types of content and they all need some form of marketing to be successful and google's really really smart really smart and it's got some incredible ways of working out what's relevant content and you need to understand that and 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 work towards that one thing i can say is and we can talk more about this in next week's part the next episode is get experts involved people like julia like seo experts make such a difference it's such a complex world i remember kate when google analytics first came out and it was such a simple product yeah google analytics version one it was so lovely and simple and straightforward wow have you logged into google analytics lately uh, i don't know the last few oh, i've i've never been at a stage where i thought google analytics was easy and straightforward you're too young to remember those days that's why maybe <laughs> around 2000 when it was like honestly it was the most one of the most beautiful simple pieces of software and now it's you log into Google Analytics. It's like it's really you need to be an expert. I, I feel you could almost you could almost do a one year course just on Google Analytics. It's it's a trend. It's it's a phenomenon with software, you know, um, which starts out simple, yeah. and it's and it gets more complex. I think that's. You know, that's even we were going to mention it, but we we didn't get around to it. The, the Instagram founders leaving, but. You know, one of the reasons is is that there's rumors that they wanted to keep the platform simple, and it's just getting really complicated. You know, one Instagram's really? strong point was all was always that it was really simple. I hadn't heard uh, that they'd actually uh, that they were leaving, but that does make lots of sense because Instagram's come such a long way since it first came out. I remember I downloaded it. There was like maybe five people talking about it couple of people at school and but they're all kind of you know more into photography and stuff and now it's just like it's the new facebook well it's interesting you say that because one of the so the two founders left this week and it was it was quite controversial because yeah there, there's you know mark zuckerberg when they bought whatsapp and bought instagram they basically said to both of them look we're going to let you guys do your thing right but increasingly, Facebook have been getting involved in both WhatsApp and Instagram, particularly wanting wanting to monetize them. And these founders have left, but these guys made a lot of money. Both the WhatsApp and Instagram founders made a lot of money from these acquisitions. So there was a little bit of criticism, especially to the the WhatsApp chap. I'm just saying, you you know, it's really sort of bad form to bitch about the company that acquired you for $20 billion or something ridiculous. Anyway, that's Silicon Valley politics. But the point being is, yes, there's talk there's talk that Instagram, they're going to continue evolving that because that's, that's where their growth is. That's where the younger people are and the younger people tend to spend more money, which is where advertisers like to advertise to people that spend money. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see and it has become much more complex the software tends to start out really simple and it tends to get more convoluted and then there's always opportunity for new startups to come in with another simple product right yeah definitely it i I guess it does i mean at the same time everything simple kind of kind of grows if it's effective in any case it does but one of the strengths of Instagram in the early days was was its absolute simplicity, and they even resisted putting features like you know regram, like you can retweet 
you know, they wanted they wanted this real sort of linear experience for simplicity's sake. Um, They've recently started doing that with stories, so you can actually, uh, or regram is probably not the right word, but if if I post a story, you can add it to your story. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's becoming so complex. Like there's just all these new features and, yeah, it's. Um, I, I predict there will be some some new apps. It's actually, speaking of Instagram founders, um, I tweeted a quote. So he was interviewed by Kara Swisher, who's a famous Silicon Valley journalist. And one of the Instagram f- uh, founders, Kevin Systrom, he made a really interesting point about um, social media. I'll just read this quote quickly. Social media is in a pre-Newtonian moment where we all understand that it works, but not how it works, Mr. System told me, comparing the moment in the tech world to the time before man could explain gravity. There are certain rules that govern it, and we have to make it our priority to understand the rules or we cannot control it. His point about all this, you know, the social media getting out of control with fake news and and spam and nation states controlling it and um, it sort of has, has evolved into this monster. And I think he's totally right. And um, that's episode number 125. Email us, podcast at itsamonkey.com. We'd love to hear from you. We've got tons of episodes at itsamonkey.com. We've interviewed people like David Hanemeyer Hansen, Kevin Kelly, Melanie Perkins from Canva. We've got some really fantastic uh, previous interviews, John Demart- Dr. John Demartini. Um, I think, Kay, may, it might be some time to try to reach out to some new high-profile people. Not that we don't uh, enjoy interviewing everyone but but the more high profile people are fun sometimes yeah definitely they give a good span and people like hearing from them because they already know who they are exactly and it's always we like like hearing from successful interesting smart people so we'll we'll see what we can do we'll start sending sending out a few emails most people are actually quite receptive which is, is great people have been great you know, I think we put, put successful people on a pedestal sometimes, but they're just people, you know. And a lot of them just email back and are really nice about it. So always appreciate that. Yeah. You never know unless you're – what's that saying? My dad always says, you've got to be in it to win it. That's it. You do, right? Go dad wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Okay, Kate, thank you so much. Thanks to my co-host, Kate Frappel. She's the design lead at Manage Flitter and Manage Social and doing some great work. And believe it or not, there's even going to be a Manage Flitter mobile app coming, which I'm really excited about. Boy, does it look nice that we're working on. And Manage Social, um, which is a, a newly redesigned social media management app. So Kate's the, the front end and the heart and the soul of our products and our new website at manageflitter.com. So, yeah. She does does a lot of a lot of good important work. Now she's gonna blush because she's Australian, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> if you're American, you'd be like, "Yeah, I kick ass, man!" <laughs> Did all the things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode uh, in a week or two. Sounds good. See ya. 